Welcome, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kalen Wojcik, and I got Mr. Phil Vallejo here with me. And we are going to do one more podcast uh, together uh, as we're co-located before Phil heads back to uh, his home uh, base of Cody, Wyoming. So welcome back to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us here, welcome and thank you. The Modern Day Sniper Podcast is a podcast that's dedicated to the journey of the rifleman. And that's going to mean something different to all of us, and that's what this podcast is all about. It is for the professional law enforcement or military sniper, the precision shooting enthusiast, the long-range rifle competitor, or the technical rifle hunter. This podcast has information for all of you guys, and we're here to help you on your journey just because we are on our journey as well. So we're constant students just like everybody else. And this podcast is dedicated to you guys. So with that being said, we got that out of the way. We're going to talk about something technical today. Yeah, we've been talking about some uh, some mindfulness stuff the last few podcasts, you know, from uh, Back to Our Why and then, you know, Cass coming on, which was an awesome episode uh, super, super cool to get her on here finally so that the, uh, community can, you know, obviously see the third person to our, to our tripod. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then, you know, we were talking today, like, let's do something technical. It's been a while. I mean, we like the granite, uh, Creek sniper challenge talk was kind of all over the place in terms of like both technical and, um, but like actually like a focused, dedicated technical talk. Because uh, it's been a while since we've done, yeah. done one of those. And people, honestly, like, you know, we get messages all the time and people are like, hey, like, we want to know more stuff. We want more knowledge. <laughs> so stop. One guy actually was like, you guys talk about yourselves a lot. And I was like, what, dude? What? I go, what podcast are you referring to? Like, holy shit. Um, Probably one and two or one, two, and three. I mean, that's when we. Out of. <clears throat> out of. What is this? This is 48? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I mean, I think it is good to talk about the technical stuff. Mm -hmm. That's, um, it's important for people and it's important for us because um, that's what we do. We're we're teachers. So I think wind is a huge one. Wind is always something that is really intimidating to a lot of people. It can be just because you don't want to fuck up. You don't want to miss. And I think that there are a lot of pitfall mistakes that people make when they're trying to learn how to call wind. And I think a lot of that is trying to listen to what other people's wind calls are and not trusting themselves to make their own and learn from it. Yeah. Right. And say, uh, like as an example, we were uh, shooting uh, a couple days ago and one of the guys in my squad was like, Hey, so what did you, what did you open up with? What did you start with? And, and I, you know, I was like, well, I could give him the answer right we're shooting the same cartridge albeit a different speed but 600 yards and in it doesn't give it doesn't matter really um and then he was and then i said well i could either like give him the answer or i could you know just take this as an opportunity to be like hey man if you really want to learn how to do this you have to read the conditions make your own judgment based off of what you derived from your own brain right because if you don't do that then you won't be able to learn from like where it went wrong. And so all I did was I said, Hey, you know, check 
the direction of the wind in relationship to your direction of fire and either cut the full value in half or, or you know, 80%. And then from there, apply the wind speed and derive your correction from that. Yeah. Like if you don't follow those simple steps, you're yeah. never going to learn this. So what I've learned with wind um, is uh, shooters overthink it uh, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and just with anything else, I think when people get into the sport, a lot of people are perfectionists. I think that's why uh, <clears throat> they gravitate toward precision rifle shooting is because, you know, there's just so much technical stuff that involves around sh- shooting a tiny little bullet out to distance, right? And I think one thing that a lot of shooters hate to do is obviously miss, right? It's a, it's it it kills us and we do miss, but trying to find the perfect wind call, right, mm-hmm. is what sh- I see a lot of newer shooters struggle with. And what that does is they overthink the wind, they overcomplicate it, mm-hmm. and they, they never essentially gain any experience because they are just sitting there thinking about, well, what wind call should I use? Right. Right. And we give them all the tools in our classes. Right, and I think we should definitely backtrack in terms of. I know we will, but we give them all the tools and the and the approach to our wind call process. You know what I mean? Uh, and then you know, when it comes time for them to shoot, it's like, all right, man, make a decision, mm-hmm. right? Because like, by the time that you actually make a decision, and then you have to still go through your process of your fundamentals and stuff like that. By the time you actually execute all that, winds change five or six different times. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. if you don't commit to something, then you're just going to be behind it every single time. Every time. Every single time. And wind can screw with your brain, man. It can totally screw with your brain because if you're not focused on the step-by-step process, it's very easy to convince yourself that um, uh, a one part, like one mistake in a multi-part process, is something that it's not. Yeah. Right. Well, you could have you could have guessed the wind speed correct, but you didn't get the value appropriate. Yep. And so the the point that I tried to make to this guy was like, okay, now once it's all said and done, if you can remember exact, you know, if you can remember what happened, you can then figure out for yourself, hey, why did why was that wind call three tenths too much? Or why was it, you know, X amount too too little? Well, I either got the wind speed wrong or I got the direction wrong or um you know, there was some other flow of wind pattern out there that I'm just not skilled yet enough to see. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and another thing, too, is like, you know, <clears throat> one thing that I do see uh, with with wind is that um, wherever you go in the world, wind is completely different in terms of what you see <clears throat> and what you feel in different areas, right? Mm-hmm. So just because you feel it on the East Coast and you're like, oh, you know, this is a 10, 15, especially if it's your home range. You go out to west or central areas, right, where the wind flow in terms of just the way it it blows on you and stuff like that, um, it's completely different, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And how and and what a lot of people don't understand or realize, especially with wind, is uh, treating it like water, right, and Mm -hmm. and understanding how it actually is supposed to flow. um, uh, Because all it is, it's a, I mean, wind is like a liquid, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And... um, you know, that's that's why, and I'm not trying to say that we're a freaking, and I, I said that as a disclaimer in all my classes, like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm some wind god, right? I, like, all my wind calls, I'm like, no one is there 100% in their wind calls. I would love to meet a person that is, Yeah. right? Uh, and if you don't, if anyone that's listening knows who that is, please let me know, because I'd love to shake his hand and let's, shake his brain. Let's get him on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, 
at the end of the day, we're all making an educated fucking guess. Yeah. Right. And that's what we have to come to terms with is it's a, it's a guess. And the more that you experience, um, you know, different conditions and stuff like that, you just get better at guessing. Right. And essentially what happens is, you know, shooters just become better guesses, be- better guessers than you yep. based off of based off their experiences based off their experiences yeah and and like paying attention to what it is that um that is in the environment that is giving you the cues to make the decisions that you're making yep. and you're not going to get that by constantly listening to somebody say no. that's you know that's 0.5 yeah. or yeah. that's whatever it is because when they when you <clears throat> especially like in the precision rifle competition you hear guys come off the line and you know the very first thing that guys say well what, are you, what were you holding you know, they're not actually taking the time to sit and watch and be like, okay, well, it's a five. He was using five tenths, and this is why he was using five tenths, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, I'm going to, like, there's they, then that stick to that number. You know what I mean? Right, and, and then and then when it doesn't work, they're like, well, oh, I got fucked by the wind, yeah. right? It's like, oh, he used five tenths the whole way, and when I got up there, it fucking died or it, it picked up on me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like. Great, great point, too, because we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, because if you don't have a baseline understanding of how you got to that correction, you're, yeah, none of it will make sense. Yeah. You'd be yeah. like, oh, yeah. well, well, why didn't 5, 0.5 work? Yeah. So, um, I think a lot of that comes from learning to just, like, you're so focused on just getting the hit that you'll do anything that you can to just get a hit. Right, and it's like I don't give I don't give a shit what I got to do. I just want to hit that target. And what I found with with a lot of shooters that I talk to is the more confident they become with calling their own wind, and the more that they're able to tune out uh, the background noise of what other shooters are using. Right, and that's again we talked about this earlier. Like a lot of people don't understand the meaning of mile per hour wind. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you know when you you got a group of shooters um, that have a range of 308 to s- slow six five sub fast six fives heavy or uh, slow six fives heavy bullets to fast six fives heavy bullets to you know uh, slow sixes to fast sixes six mm-hmm. read mores. I mean, there's a huge range of you know um, or uh, point or mil difference, mm-hmm. right? For sure. From five, six, seven, eight miles an hour. And, um, you know, unless you know for a fact, just like when we were shooting uh, at Granite Creek, right, that we made sure that we were shooting, you know, within 10 feet per second of each other, mm-hmm. right? And we yeah. achieved that. And that is why every time I broke a shot, I was super confident with my wind call that I knew that you were going to follow up and apply the same exact fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and, you know, because of how crazy the wind conditions were, yeah, like if we weren't able to shoot within those same conditions, a one mile an hour or two mile an hour would push that bullet with how small the targets were. They're off the plate. Off, off the plate by a fucking tenth. Yeah. Right? We were making <clears throat> a tenth, maybe two tenth minimum adjustments. adjustments to get on plate, whereas like bigger targets would be like, oh, man, you were holding one five, you need to come over to one eight. Yeah. Right. At a minimum. But mm-hmm. I remember just saying, hey, try one five or one five didn't work. Come to one six or one seven. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Um, and like in our courses, because of the targets are obviously a, a lot generous, then we would like crucify our students, like, stop giving them point one mil corrections. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Because that's not, well, we tell them all the time. You look at it and go, well, how wide is the target? Well, it's point eight. I'm like, well, if you're aiming at the center 
and you and you missed even if you just shaved the right edge of the target what's the minimum wind call to get that that bullet to go to center yep. 0.4 yep. and they're like oh yeah yeah you got to yeah. be bold yep. like that's you got to be bold with your wind calls yep. unless on bigger targets and then i would also say that that sh constantly shooting large targets is not going to make you a better wind reader either you have mm. to shoot smaller targets so that yep. way you can really truly see where you're at yep. and it should be a progress yep. right you know start off with like a three minute angle target and then eventually work yourself down to a minute of angle target so yep. that way you can truly refine that wind call and get it to within one mile an hour of speed and as close to the value as you possibly can yeah. within. Well, you, it's a good question. What do you think about the value? Because a lot of people are like, hey, can you break it down to like a quarter, a half, you know, three quarters, and then, you know, 90%. And, and I want to always, I, I always just say, I don't think so. And my, my, my answer is no. It's either going to be, um, it's either going to be from that half value or that 87%, right? 50% or 87%. I would say once you start getting the head and tailwinds, you start to see the quarter value effect, exactly. effect That's really true. well. Um, you know, but that that like that is literally when you see uh, on small targets the quarter value effect, it's usually a 2 to 3 tenths wind call. Yep. Right? Anything more than 2 to 3 tenths, you're now going into that like you said the half the half, half value, value. Uh, wind and, and stuff like that. So, I would say truly the only three types of wind calls that I I I'll use is a, uh, or in terms of angle, mm -hmm. right, is a full uh, 90%, or I guess four, full 90%, half value, uh, or sorry, 70%, and then um, a, a quarter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. I guess, no, not even not even 90. I, so I, I would say a full three quarter value, which is a, which is yep. a half, 45, right? Yep. So mm -hmm. 70, 70% like a true half value, mm -hmm. like cutting uh, exactly the wind 60 call in half, 60 degrees, yep. and then a quarter value for a head and tailwind. Okay, all right, right. that's that's Be fair. Because the the 90%, you know, the 87 or whatever is like, is I mean, it's so close to the 100, yep. right? It's that, honestly, that's just noise. Right? And that and that's a testament to also the, the how profound the effect of the wind is at those angles yep. perpendicular, yeah. right? It's, a, it's not much. Yeah. So saying that you misjudge the wind from a, a full value to a ninety percent value is not the reason why you're missing a target. That's very true. Right? It's like it's like it's like spin drift. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, it's like you either that or you miss you misjudge the speed. The speed, absolutely yeah. right, because the speed has more of an effect than going from one hundred to uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or from ninety degrees to you know, let's say eighty, or uh, oh, sorry, not. not no, you were there. Yeah yeah, 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 like 80, 80 degrees, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, what I wanted to do is also, like, kind of backtrack. You know, I think that was a really great introduction to, to, the, to the podcast of, like, understanding uh, our thought processes on the wind. But let's actually break down, like, all right, what do we have to do when we're looking for wind in terms of, like, the systematic approach when we're making a wind call? Great. Right? Every, everywhere we go. So, uh, and this is what I teach in class um, on all of our in-person classes, even our, our PR 201 or our, uh, our technical wind courses is, um, you know, figuring out the three vital pieces of information that you need to make a wind call, right? Uh, typically it starts with, um, obviously once you've established your range to target, 
right? But the very first one um, that I like to do when I'm getting a wind call is figure out direction first and foremost. I need to know uh, what direction I need to push my barrel into, right? Not only do I want to know where the wind is coming from, but that also allows me to then look outside of my binoculars and understand terrain, mm-hmm. right? So what terrain is influencing what the, exactly, that? Exactly, right? And, and people that aren't don't shoot out west don't really understand that, especially if they're shooting out east, right? And like I'm gonna I'm gonna like keep knocking on this. Like, don't come at me telling me you're a professional national level competitor if you stay in your fucking box. <laughs> in your, your six-hour fucking driving range. Um, but a lot of shooters, they stay in their binos, right? Their field of view, and they're just reading Mirage. Oh, wind is coming from the right. Wind is coming from the right. And, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, and if, it's, it's, if it's fluctuating back and forth, typically that's a headwind, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, you know, when you're out west, like, uh, especially in, like, open country and stuff like that, like, Generally, what I'm doing is that, okay, if I see Mirage coming from the right, then I'm now like scanning way to the right, not only with my naked eye, but my binos to see, okay, well, what's influencing and how is that wind flowing through the terrain? Yeah. Where, 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 where do I think it's picking up, right? Um, where do I think it's slowing down? And where is my bullet in relation to the path of all of that? Yep. <coughs> so it's a, it's a great, that's a great point. <clears throat> um, because we do that in we do that skydiving all the time we're like as an example up at chelan it was super super windy and i was kind of like it's not going to be fun um it's you know your canopy flight's not that fun because you're basically coming straight down the winds are blowing you know 18 miles an hour so it's kind of like okay um but there are more safe parts of the airport to land on based upon what direction the wind's coming from. Yeah. So um, when the wind comes from the north, or I'm sorry, when the wind comes from the south at Lake Chelan, the area that I, per, that I like to normally land in is not tenable. Yeah. And the reason it's not tenable, <coughs> you always want to land into the wind, okay? So you're landing into the wind going from north to south. But there's like a little knob about from the center of the landing area to the crest of this knob, I would say it's probably about 300 yards. Yep. Okay. And that knob is maybe 200 feet higher than where I'm actually landing. But if you try to land that way and you start to drop below 300 feet on short final, dude, it sucks. Your, your parachute starts to get bumped all over the place and you kind of feel like it's going to lose pressure and it's getting super it feels like um for if you guys are pilots out there it feels like slow flight really mushy muddy controls and it's because of all the turbulence Mm -hmm. that's coming over the top of that the the main airflow is coming right over the top and and so when i'm above 300 feet i'm in the clean air which is predictable Mm -hmm. but then as soon as i drop below that 300 feet I'm feeling the turbulence and I'm feeling it like, and you can get some really savage stuff happen. Like you can get, um, you can get an updraft, which will then lift you off the ground, or you can get a massive um, front push, mm-hmm. which will change the flight characteristics of yeah. your parachute when you're close to the ground, and that's dangerous. Yeah. So then, like I see that, and I'm like, I can visualize what's actually happening to a wind call if you're going to take a wind reading at the target yeah depending on what the train's doing 
So if, if for example, you're shooting, you know, down a hill or maybe the targets are like at Granite Creek, mm -hmm. perfect example, right? Yep. So some of those targets were on a slope downhill. Yep. Most of them were. Um, and you would shoot and the, the mirage at the target was not representative of what the clean airflow was yep. where the bullet is going to spend the majority of its flight. Yeah, that's right. Because that's the wind you want to look at yep. and that you want to read. Yep. And I think a lot of people make that mistake. Well, yeah. So like, for instance, the very first stage of the day on Granite Creek, mm -hmm. wind was like blowing at us. But then we were, not only was it blowing at us, but it felt like it was a slight right to left. Correct. But we ended up pulling left to right yep. on the wind just because of how the wind was actually flowing up. Yeah, exactly. And, and Following the terrain of the hill. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I, honestly, for like a, a, a novice shooter or even like an amateur shooter, they probably would have just held straight up on that first, right? And then, mm, yeah. you know, um, just because it's like, hey, wind's coming right at our face. Mm -hmm. um, but then as you started to really read the vegetation and, and the mirage, and then kind of just seeing, again, the splash of the plate, how the plate's rocking in, in the spall, you would then realize, oh, shit, it, it's a left to right out there, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, and, again, that all comes with experience. But uh, And and with those targets, that first couple targets, they were, they were fairly close, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. so we're, the bullet is in that wind. Yep, yep. Whereas when you start having targets that are deeper – the bullet is going out of the pair out of what I call the dirty air. Mm. It's going out of the dirty air and it's being it's gonna live the majority of its time in the clean air, mm. uh, right? Headed towards Max Ord. Yeah, yeah. And then as it falls from Max Ord, it's going it's only gonna spend a very short amount of time in that turbulent, unclean air yep. before it impacts, before terminal. Yeah. So the majority of the you know of the bullet's flight path, you need to be looking at where, what the wind's doing in that region, yeah. and not necessarily getting sucked into what it's doing on the ground. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, so that, I mean that's that, I mean that's just all like direction, right? Understanding where the wind is flowing from, mm -hmm. right? And then you, you typically you get we get questions asked like, well, um, well, what if at the at the target it's blowing left to right? But at the shooter, it's blowing right to left, right? And this is how I approach that situation. Best way that I look at it in terms of wind is there's three um, zones. You've got wind at the shooter, so your firing position, wind in between you and the target, and then wind at the target, right? So if you break those down into three, as long as you do that in a three, if you, if you get too crazy with it, then you're just going to screw your head, right? So if you keep it simple with those three, two out of the three zones will always agree with each other. Mm -hmm. That's right. the one you need to be looking at. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, um, and again, perfect case scenario was Granite Creek. At the shooter, it was a right to left. Mm -hmm. Right? In, our, in terms of the way it felt and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. in between and at the target, it was a left to right. Yep. Right? And so we went with a left to right because two out of the three zones said it was a left to right. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, that, that I mean, that's just establishing direction. Right? And then you know once we that takes analysis too. Like yes, one hundred percent. You have to, you have to pay attention to that. And, and it's and it's more than just reading mirage, right? Yeah. A lot of people again stick to just like, oh well, the mirage is doing this. I've been in plenty of situations where I've tried to trust the mirage, and guess what? I've held in, I've held in the same, I've, I've shot and missed in the same direction I'm holding for mirage. Yeah, that's right? yep. And and the other thing too is like you guys, like uh, some people don't realize that you can look at mirage at different points along the range right. 
And you can you can look at Mirage in the middle of the sky, yeah. right? Yeah. As long as you focus your binoculars mm-hmm. on it. And usually, like I, I find way more uh, success in in doing that kind of mirage observation using binos and mm-hmm. not a spotting scope. Yeah. But it can be done with a spotting scope yeah. too. Yeah. But that's like he, you know, look at the see see what you can actually do because every time you manipulate that focal ring, you're yeah. bringing the focal distance either court towards you or the focal point towards you or away from you. Yeah. So yeah, the mirage is not always, or the mirage at the target is not always the. Yeah. If you're looking through your rifle scope, one thing you can do is adjust your parallax. Mm-hmm. Yep. Adjust your parallax range, especially you know, uh, to the closer closer ranges. So like, if you got a target at 500, you want to drop it down to like 100 and 300. Right? To see to, what that mid flight, what, what the mid flight yeah. is is doing. Um, and typically, you know, you'll you'll be able to pick up again. Yeah, like Caleb was saying, uh, the direction of that mirage midway. Um, so once you know, for uh, for me, once I establish direction, the very first, next thing is obviously speed most, or uh, velocity of the wind or the uh, speed of it. Um, you know, and that's typically where you get. Uh, you know, I get shooters. Or everyone asks, like, "Well, do I need a Kestrel?" Like, I, I got a question. You know, in my inbox today that I replied back to. Like, okay, well, um, if the I think he said if the uh, wind at the target truly matters, and and I knew he probably read this on some kind of form, mm-hmm. right? Because like, no, like, actual guy that knows he's fucking talking about actually makes a statement like that. Yeah. Right. Um, Hardly anybody will make <laughs> statements that are that definitive yeah. when it comes to something like wind. Yeah. Uh, he he said, um, if the wind at the target is the most important, why would I need a Kestrel for at the shooter? And he asked, he asked my professional opinion if owning a Kestrel is worth it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Right? Unless, like, you already are, are some, like, fucking wind god calibrated to your body and you know, oh, that's a 10-mile-an-hour wind based off the way it feels and sounds. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, yeah, the Kestrel's a cal- – it's like a body calibration tool. That's right. That's right. And I do tell people that – no, I don't believe that you need a Kestrel that has an integrated ballistics computer program in it. I don't believe that you need that. No, I don't. If, yeah. if you're if you're looking to get into this sport and you're trying to have the lowest expenditure possible, yep. there's a free phone application, and you can get yourself a $79 Kestrel yep. that will give you wind speed, pressure, humidity, all the things that you need to, to derive an accurate firing solution. And train your body how to read wind. Yep. Like you can do it with a, a, all you need is an anemometer. Yep. So that's another thing too. And I really, I very rarely will, like maybe once or twice, I'll take the Kestrel out to just, just double check what, what I'm seeing or what I'm feeling. Yeah. And then I'll put it away. Like it's just, it's just like, and then if I notice that like from one stage to the next that the wind is picked up. I might take it out and just verify that it has actually picked up and that I'm not, you know, feeling something different because I'm at a different part of the range. So I would say it's all about time and opportunity, right? Again, mm-hmm. looking from a non-competitive standpoint, I think it's important like if if a shooter has time, definitely, you know, pull your Kestrel out. Um, if you're if you're shooting in fit and this is just my personal opinion, right? If you're shooting in over Honestly, 12 miles an hour wind conditions. Yeah. There's, there's, and, and you're like a, a rifle hunter. 
There's no way. There's no. You shouldn't be further than 600 yards to your target. And I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, and uh, anytime for me, based off my experience, I think the wind gets over uh, the um, you know, 14, 15 mile an hour mark in terms of uh, now coming out of the bracket of a seven mile an hour gun, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to pull my cash roll out. Yeah, for sure. Right. Because I want to make sure that I'm getting it exactly. Exactly on point. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the only times I re- ever pull a Kestrel out in a precision rifle competition is in the morning to just double check to make sure my atmospherics are in the general area of where my cart, what I want my car to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the afternoon to see, you know, what, what changes. And you know, it's it's not frustrating, but I just and, and, and the people that I think that uh, listen to our podcast obviously laugh about this, but you know I see a lot of people that just are swinging their kestrels out consistently, or, or you know they're just always thumbing up and down through their kestrel, and then when when numbers don't start to make sense, we talked about this on the on the Granite uh, Creek Cyber Challenge podcast is when numbers don't start to make sense, right? They start now fudging numbers in their Kestrel in order to make the numbers make sense to them. Keep going, man. Keep going. So it's like, all right, let's take a step back here. Um, yeah. So I'll get my Kestrel out to get maybe an initial wind call reading, and then that's it. And then I'm using that. Right, so let's say I decided, okay, it's a ten mile an hour wind, based off what I feel at the shooter. Then I'm trying to calibrate my eyes to what I see with mirage, vegetation, all that stuff, and then I'm trying to see, okay, if I go up there and if there's any changes in terms of like what I see with mirage, in terms of the angle, maybe how vegetation is flowing, I will probably up or down that by one mile an hour, right? So maybe use a eight or a twelve. Right, but like ten is, you know, typically a pretty hard number, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and shoot for a ten, right? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's straight up, it's a straight up guess, right? And usually that will tell me, right, whether I was correct or not, right? And so what I'll do is if I if I shoot for a ten and I realize oh shit I didn't hold enough wind so I was I was soft, and I should have used. Uh, more of a 12 what I'll do is I'll stop and I'll analyze okay what is it about the way the wind looks and feels that is a 12 mile an hour that I got wrong yes in in my right yes where a lot of shooters don't actually stop taking analysis of that you know Um, so yeah so I stop and 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 I'm like okay Based off of the mirage flow, based off of how you know spall is coming off, this is a 12 miles an hour because I'm shooting, literally shooting in it right now, and I'm connecting with a 12 mile an hour wind call. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. Yep, it, it is what it is. Yep. So you you're, and that is when you start when you start basing your next stage off of that, mm-hmm. you have way more success. Yep, because you already know. Depending, unless the next stage is completely opposite direction, or you're shooting in a totally different direction, yeah. or whatever it is, it's going to be the same thing. Yeah, and that's and that's the benefit of using the mile per hour system. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. It, and people look at this, 
And if they looked at it as a system, mm. you just followed those steps, yeah. one, two, three, yeah. it, you're going to be able to, it, there's only going to be so many options to, to have the screw up, yeah. right? The screw up's only going to come from pretty much two places. Yeah. So like you, you've got to understand that this has to come from you and it can't come from anybody else. Um, another question that, since we're talking speed, right, is um, what wind really matters? Is it wind at the target or wind at the shooter in terms of your velocity, right? And so you hear the argument of, all right, well, wind at the wind at the target is more important than because your bullet is going a lot slower in terms of velocity, so now Good. wind has more influence. Good right? point. And then the other argument is wind at the shooter is more important because a motion that gets put in motion uh, stays in motion. Uh, the best analogy that I like to use is rolling a bowling ball down a uh, lane. If you tap it immediately as soon as it you know hits the uh, the lane, I mean, by the time it gets halfway, it's in the gutter, right? But if you tap it three quarters along the way, even though it's slowed down, you know you're probably at least going to hit a pin or two, right? So that's the way I, I look at wind, and I, I would say that majority of a person's wind call. Initial wind call is always going to be based off of what they feel at the shooter because they have more resources at the shooter's position than downrange, right? Because you got your Kestrel, you have sound, you have feel, um, and the only thing that you have, and your observations, so your 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 uh, you know your ability to see, the only thing that you have downrange at the target is your observation senses, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you have to ask yourself, well, how... How good am I at How that? good am I at that? Yeah. <laughs> how tuned am I with well, my ability or, to read well, the mirage or whatever the case might be? Or how consistent am I? Yeah, yeah. How consistent am I? That's a big deal. Um, so there's, a, there's another thing. Well, on speed of the wind. So once we establish the speed, but I don't want to jump ahead because I've got another couple things in my brain on this technical stuff that I want to throw out. Um speed of the wind now once we've established those two we've got the direction we've got the speed and we've taken into account what terrain is influencing the the speed based upon the direction mm -hmm. okay i know that sounds complicated but that's what it is so no matter what let's just say we're going to hold for at that target distance we're going to hold for a 12 mile an hour wind because mm -hmm. that's what we've discussed that's what we've decided yep. now what What's the next step? How do we derive a correction from that? Yep. And so that's where we come in and we start talking about gun number. And then not only knowing your gun number, but then being able to understand how important it is to see visually see those wind holds in mile an hour as well. Okay. Right? Because like that helps. Yep. That helps that helps a lot. Yeah. Because if you're, and that's the other thing I was trying to tell this this guy, I was like, look, if you're, let's just say you've got a target at 400 and a target at 650. You know, I want to know, I don't want to know how many tenths it took me to hit at 400 because that doesn't mean shit at 650. Yeah. I want to know what mile per hour at 400 got me the hit so that way I can apply that same mile an hour to 650. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not tenths. Of, I mean, it, it is tenths of mils. It ends up being tenths, but you need that wind speed there to take you from one target range to the next. Yeah. Because sometimes they think that, okay, well, I, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. Right. Let's and, just throw a couple more tenths. Yeah. yeah. On. So, like, let's, I mean, if I hit at 300 yards, if I hit, if I use three tenths, 
at 415 yards, I'm going to go to four tens. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, like, or especially if you've got a big gradual shift in terms of target ranges, you know, you, let's say you go from 300 to 700, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. you know, you hit yeah. 300 with a, with a six mile an hour. Exactly. Right? It's like, Hey, well, what's a six mile an hour for 700? Well, if I'm using a six mile an hour gun, it's 0. 0.7. 0. 0.7, right? So I know I, I, if, if you trained yourself appropriately. Yeah. I, you know, and I think what a lot of shooters would do if they saw that massive increase of, okay, well, I use 0. 0.3 for 300, and when they would go to seven, they'd probably just do, okay, well, that was three tenths, so I'm just going to add another two tenths and use five. And then, and then they're, 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 they're short. They're short. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a great point. And, um, well, I guess we'll talk, I wanted to talk about, um, uh, wind velocity profiles, but actually I'll, I'll leave that to the very end, right? More of like advanced, you know, wind. Mm-hmm. I think we should talk about aerodynamic jump and and um, yeah, and uh, wind velocity profiles. But yep. to continue on with, you know, establishing uh, speed, right? Another two things that you hear constantly in forums and stuff like that is uh, those two charts that you see all over the place with Mirage mm-hmm. and like. Uh, like vegetation, mm-hmm. right? If vegetation blows, or the if the if the speed of the wind is like zero to five, or like you know, uh, ten to fifteen, you know, small bushes will sway, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. And <laughs> you know what I say to that? Yeah. Fuck that yeah, shit. It doesn't doesn't mean anything. And and uh, and the reason why I say that is is if you guys and some of you guys are probably laughing because you guys probably have taken class and you guys heard me say this, but like sagebrush, would you consider sagebrush a small bush? It's a small bush. Yeah. What, is, what does sagebrush do in 30-mile-an-hour wind the conditions? same thing it does in 2-mile-an-hour <laughs> wind conditions. It fucking just stares at you. <laughs> and that's exactly what we were experiencing at Granite Creek, right? Oh, yeah, Those sure. targets were all in sagebrush. All of it. Right? And when wind started to freaking howl, you didn't see any of them bitches move. Nope. Um, the only time that you saw it move is when you shot a fucking twig off. Exactly. Right? Um, and when you so, missed. And so, and so even with that being said, sometimes it's hard to see Mirage looking through sagebrush. That's right. So okay. it's yeah. it's a pain in the ass. And so what we mean by that is you have to calibrate your your observation going you know going back to your experience to different terrain, right? And the vegetation that is in that terrain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the types of trees and the types of bushes that you have specific to that area, right? You know what I mean. So if you know that you know hey this juniper is starting to move around, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's blowing at least twelve miles an hour at a minimum. Yeah. Does that, exactly. does that make sense? Totally. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's just being, again, keen with your senses. But don't then, but don't take that, okay, juniper bush moving at 12 miles an hour and then try to carry it over to, like, you know, an oak tree moving, mm-hmm. right? Thinking that, right, hey, that oak tree is starting to move, right? I think it's 12 miles an hour. Right. Right. You have to recalibrate your, your ability exactly. to read that terrain exactly. and vegetation. Exactly. And that's really where it's, like, I think understanding more about the patterns of wind mm-hmm. And where there's turbulence and where there's cavitation, because um, you're going to get that at the East Coast ranges. It's it, because of those ranges being cut into slots, you know, um, in the trees. It can be a lot harder because the wind is is you're shooting into basically consistent cavitation. I guess you could call it right. Mm-hmm. You're shooting into a consistent ball of shit. Right, that you're trying to figure out what what is that ball of shit actually doing to my bullet? Yeah, because there's really it's difficult because you're not getting the bullet into clean air. Mm. It's always in turbulent, kind of dirty air, so yeah. it's difficult to 
to really truly say what's really making that a half a mil win you know what's really requiring me to hold a half a mil right is it the direction or is it the speed or is it you know combination of what so that's interesting stuff and i don't know if there's you you actually nailed it earlier like it's a guess man like you talk to i've had lots of conversations with robert and I'm like, hey man, like, what's the deal? What's the secret? How, where's that? What's that king of two mile sauce? And he's like, I'll tell you what, man, it's fucking guessing. That's what it is. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. We just kind of guess. <laughs> well, so what frustrates <laughs> me is like, there's fucking people out there like hyping up their courses about being fucking wind ninjas, right? Yeah. At specific locations, it's like, yeah, no fucking shit. If you're shooting the same fucking range all over, all over, the, all over the fucking again. time. Well, how do how well do you do outside of that range? Yeah. Right. I want to. I want you to put your money where your mouth is and yep. show me how you can dominate. And and trust me, if if you're able to do that and show me, I will fucking sign up for your course yeah. all day. Totally. Because I want. I want to. I know that. And um, there's people out there that do that. Right. They 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 solicit their class and their course off of a specific range. And and that's why I actually love the fact that we don't have a home range. I mean, we have Yakima, mm-hmm. right? But that we're able to travel. Yeah. Right. Uh, because. You know, when we go to Volusia County, I mean, wind down it's there different. is completely different than out here oh, yeah. in Yakima. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we went to Pig River, completely yep. different. Completely wind different. And, uh, you know, Hard Mountain, right? And, it, you know, typically it takes me now, I would say, at least 24 hours to get calibrated, right? And, and I mm-hmm. guess the goal would be to try to minimize that number down to less than 12 hours, you know, within a half a day to figure out, okay, hey, this is what the wind is doing. Right. You know what I mean? I, I think that's pretty fair. And I think that's where like some of the top level competitors are. Is they're they're able to pick up what the wind is doing at that specific venue faster, faster, mm-hmm. right? And it's yeah. like okay, they got it. They've seen it before based off of maybe similar conditions or similar locations, mm-hmm. right? But uh, that's what that's what separates them from mid pack, right? As well as their mental game and stuff like that. But a lot of it, you know, once you figure out how to, you know, steady your reticle on target. That's yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, of um, course. After taking the modern day cyber positional course, I'll, I'll just use that plug there real quick. <laughs> just, just joking. But no, once you once you figure out how to stabilize your reticle and target, the next two things is your ability to call wind and how to keep a mental headspace in the competition. Yeah, really agreed. Yeah, the 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 headspace part of it is huge, and and obviously maintaining a, a stable sight picture. But the wind is always going to be the the bottom mm-hmm. bottom line. That's the separator. That's the separator, yep. big time, for sure. And I think it's fun. I think it's awesome to learn and go to different places and see it because there are there are so many things that we that, that you can pick up um, from going to different locations to shoot. So going back to like how we actually derive our corrections and and. The gun number is one of them, and you guys, I think we had an episode. It was a long ways back. It's like I one, of say very, it's like, one of the very first episodes. I think it's episodes. number seven. It's in, the, it's in the top. It's in the first ten. Yeah. It's so in, if you're new to the podcast, look in the first ten. and, and uh, It's number seven, I think. Um, I think Phil's checking right now. But um, we derive our corrections from the gun number. And the reason we use that we use the gun number, I what would you say, eight hundred yards and in, using the gun number, I would. That's usually me. Depend, you know. Yeah, eight hundred yards, yards and yeah, in. Anything past eight hundred, I'm using like um, actual ballistic solver software data. derived data. Yes. Right. Yep. Including the influence of spin drift. Correct. Right. Um, 
because we have the you have the time and opportunity to, to do so. To do so, yeah. Um, so w- one thing that I like to do <clears throat> is I don't even write my gun number um, in my on my data card anymore. Now what I'll do is depending on what the gun number is, and then also depending on the predominant winds wherever I'm shooting at that point in time. <clears throat> maybe if maybe if I know that the winds are going to get to like 20 miles an hour. I'll do a 15, uh, maybe a 12, a 15, and then a 20, right? Just to kind of get a, a linear view of what the wind values are doing for those three considerations because I already know what my gun number is, and that's usually either going to be a 6 or 7 mile an hour gun, maybe an 8 if we're shooting way up high. Um, but I already know that number, so I'm not going to – take up space but what i want to know is hey what's it look like when it starts to get up there you know or towards the median wind value of what that day is going to bring right like at granite creek we were shooting in you know 15 to 25 mile an hour winds so you'd want to i did i built my data card off of um a 10 and a 15 and then we pretty much broke down each individual stage because i'll tell you what there's a lot of fucking targets past 800 yards so, um yeah we did we did we did ended up breaking down to 10 quite to a bit quite a bit yeah yeah. and then and then because wind was linear right yeah to a certain extent yeah a certain distance uh if we had experienced 20 miles an hour we just doubled our 10 exactly because yeah. so the 10 was the magic 15 was there for knowledge yeah. Good to know. And then if it was really complex, we broke it down into every every yeah. mile an hour. Yeah. But I think for day one, we ended up using majority 15. 15. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then that's occasionally just, we double our 10 to get exactly, our, our, to get our a 20. 20. Yeah. 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 And that's pretty much the direction we were shooting. That was pretty much what it was for the majority of the day. Yeah. So, But going back to your point with, with um, you know, uh, carrying on the same wind value right and not understanding to read terrain when we went from stage uh let's say um that half loop there right mm-hmm. so we started at 10 uh made our way to 16 then yeah. went back to nine yeah completely from from nine to or sorry from 16, 16 back to, to nine, nine it's totally completely different different uh wind flow right completely different and i mean not only did completely different wind flow but we got hit with that fucking hailstorm and mm-hmm. i just remember telling you Oh yeah! On the camera, like, like Galen, the wind wind is coming straight down, bro. I'm yeah, hold straight up because I could see it in the hail. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it worked, right? It I mean, did. we we were using uh, for that. I think it was like a, a thousand yard target. Yeah, we, we we only held two tents left. Yeah, right. And um, the stage before that, right, in in similar wind conditions in terms of velocity, we were holding. I think we ended up using two point four. I, I I was one of the posts I made on uh, mm-hmm. eleven forty five. Mm-hmm. Right, we were using two point four and two point five. Mm-hmm. Yep. So exactly. Yeah. So the so that's basically guys our three step. That's our three step process. Angle. To, we forgot to buy an angle. We did talk about. A we did talk about angle. Yeah. yeah. A little angle. Um, but ang- I would say angle comes in at the after establishing velocity, direction, and velocity. Yeah, you're talking about the value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah, what yeah, I, that's yeah, what yeah. I was saying. Yeah, like yeah. I look at direction and and the crosswind angle at the same oh do you yeah i just kind of i mean well first off i mean i look at where the target is mm-hmm. and then i say okay where where is the wind cutting across this line okay then i know it's going to be a half value 
Okay, uh, that's interesting. I, I, I guess I never never really understood that you did that mm-hmm. um, because I, I always bring that angle at the, at the very end. At the very end. So what I do is just establish, hey, is it coming right to left? I don't care what angle it's coming from. I'm just figuring out, hey, do I need to hold my barrel oh. to the right or to the left? Oh, right? okay, okay. And then once I establish my speed, then I look and I figure out, okay, the value is, you know, potentially, let's say, um, so let's say that I've clocked it at, 15 or let's say let's just hard number 10 miles an hour mm-hmm. right and so then then i'll look at after figuring out okay hey it's from right to left at about 10 miles an hour then i'll come back and say okay well what value is it now based off of the angle it's yeah the barrel okay and, and then using that cosine and applying it to the speed not the firing solution correct yeah yeah because then yeah because that's because th- at the end of the day, the only thing that we care about is the final speed. The, the, the uh, wind that's that's corrected uh, for the crosswind component. Yeah, the wind the wind vector, the actual actual straight line crosswind vector. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. Ex- yes, that's yeah. and that's all I'm doing in that first. Like I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, there's the target. Um, the wind's cutting across my line of sight from one o'clock. Okay, so. That's I'm estimating that to be a twelve, so I'm an old uh, twelve mile an hour, f- like in my face. Yeah, but it's only cutting across at a half, so I'm going to hold for a six. six. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. That's- and a lot of people actually don't get that with what we're talking about. Like so, you know, there was a couple times that we've shot together, um, especially when we first started shooting together, uh, where we came off the line and um, we would call out our holds in mile per hour. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, super confusing to people. <laughs> super confusing to people. Um, and what a lot of people don't realize, I would say, I shouldn't say a lot of people don't realize, but I'd say, you know, some a lot of the newer shooters don't realize is that you cannot, unless you know what exactly everyone is shooting, yeah. and you actually shot those cartridges, right? You can't. You cannot use, right? So, like, if you're a new shooter and you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm shooting a 6.5. But I've got Morgan King, Jake Vibbert, John Pinch in my squad. I know for a fact they're probably going to be shooting BRs, mm-hmm. some kind of BR variant. Mm-hmm. Unless you've shot a BR variant and you know how that wind deflects a BR variant compared to your 6.5 Creedmoor, you yeah. shouldn't be taking their wind call, Not period. Right. And um, there can be a lot of variations in there, too. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you, you know, when um, typically when I'm coming off of a stage – and you know i'm helping a shooter out if they ask me hey what 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 wind were you using you know um, i'll tell them like hey uh i ran a 0.5 which is similar to my six mile an hour wind i'm running a i give all the information right Mm -hmm. whether he hears it or not i know that i gave him my truthful honest statement about what i'm using Mm -hmm. right and take you and run with it yeah right it's actually if you think about it it's it's of higher value yeah. To get a wind speed yep. than it is a mil radian yeah, value. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is funny. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, when when we start getting up in the higher echelons of making a wind call, uh, especially for a lot of shooters that gravitate from the east coast to the west in high wind conditions, is uh, the fear of leaving the plate. <laughs> I'm serious. Like a lot of yeah, guys, a yeah. lot of guys, like they just like they just have never left the plate before, right? And so what what it is 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 them focusing on the center crosshair the whole time. 
right. then going, oh, that's a way fucking far away. Right, and and what they do is they they it don't can't even, be that much. They don't even uh, they don't even look at the actual mill radian value. They just look at how much space is now in between the center of the reticle to the edge of the target. Mm, yeah, does that, does that make sense? Totally, because right. that's the that's the that makes sense from even a like a, a psychological perspective. Yeah, yeah. Because the target is the hard line, mm-hmm. so that's what the eye focuses on. That's right. Right. The light. Yep. It's like the lighter color. Yep. And what really needs to happen yep. is no, you need to look to center. Now, are you? Um, I, I would know the answer to the question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, when we're making a wind call. Because uh, I get the question asked a lot. Well, are you are you bracketing yourself to where like okay, well, as long as I hold this, I should be somewhere on the plate, or you know, I'm bringing my five mile an hour to the left edge, or whatever the case might be, or are you always holding for a center mass shot, or, I, or uh, you're you're essentially setting up to where your bullet is is landing as close to center as you think, as close to center as I possibly can get it. Okay, because. Uh, you know, I used to I used to subscribe to, okay, well, if the winds are super switchy and I think it's a baseline five, I'm going to put a baseline five in the center of the target. And even though it could be blown up to eight and down to three, depending on how far and how big the target is, yeah, I'm still going to hit it. But once I was able to get to another level of, of being able to visually read the plate itself, I found myself being more lost. Mm-hmm. And once I realized, I was like, oh, shit, I don't even kind of remember what I started with because I started having more of a target focus than I did the reticle focus. Yep. And once that happens, shit, man, you you, you don't remember, you, you have no idea what mill hold you used or what, you know, like where the bullet splashed in the reticle. So what I've, what I've transitioned to is, hey, if it's calling for a 0.7 to center. And I'm holding 0.7 in the center. Center. And then in center of the target, right? And that's where my focus is. And then once that happens, the rifle recoils. We recover, get a second sight picture, watch the splash, read the plate, and then measure. And if you need to make an adjustment based upon your call, then you make the adjustment. Like if I broke a completely clean shot and I was holding 0.7 and it hit on the right edge, okay, next shot I'm going to break at 0.9. Depending on yeah, how big the target big is. Target is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So great, that's good. Yeah. So that's really once you once you start to learn how to read the plate. Yeah, that's where that opens up a whole new realm of, of accuracy when mm-hmm. it comes to reading wind. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I talk about this a lot in in our podcast about dwell time and, and and shooters having to understand what that dwell time is and why it's important for them to realize it. And, and where their dwell time is at in terms of their experience level, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, sometimes, like, they're not able to pick up that they just barely missed off the right edge, right? Because they just essentially recovered from recoil, right? They're recovering from recoil and it splashed off the right, but their dust trail is now another half a target away. Mm-hmm. Right. And now you can't tell where the origin came from. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, it's it's important uh, to realize, especially if you're on glass watching shooters, you know, because you could easily you could easily say, why the hell is he continuing to hit the side of that plate, right? Well, because the shooter doesn't know that he's hitting the right side of the plate. He knows he's hitting the target, right? And it's getting the reaction. Why change anything? 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's only able to recover fast enough to be able to see that he hit the plate. Exactly. Not exactly where, unless like, unless the target's big enough or far away enough to where he's recovering fast enough to see, oh, I to hit To truly that. see where exactly. it lands. Exactly, that, yeah. that right edge. Um, but yeah, it, and I think um, the, the trickier, the trickier, uh, you know, conditions are when you have uh, targets that have no backdrop, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um like uh, CCC uh, down in Texas is uh, pretty tough in terms of uh, like because all their targets are on T posts and there's no like really berms un- un- unless you're shooting at the 1100 or like 500 uh, on the far mm-hmm. like, stage one. Everyone that shoots at Texas knows what I'm talking about. But some of them are just literally on hangers or T posts so that when that bullet mm-hmm. when that bullet put, uh, flies past it. Yep. It, the very first visualization is that it's low. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because right? the bullets land in however 100 yards 50, 60 behind. yards behind yeah. it, right? And so, like, you start seeing the newer shooters start cranking up their elevation and crazy stuff like that, right? Yeah, Not and then realizing that... That's hopeless yeah, at that point. Right, so then that's why it goes back <clears> to, like, understanding your gear and equipment. And, like, if you have the utmost confidence in your equipment, right, that, hey, the only thing I should be making in terms of corrections right now is my left or right. Yeah. Right. And that's typically what I'll do at my level where it's like, hey, if if I shoot and I didn't see anything, right, my next initial wind call is most likely going to be an increase of wind. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's usually, you know, a, my, my go-to. I actually got that bit that bit me uh, last weekend. Yeah. Because <clears throat> we were shooting a, a, a KYL rack and other mm-hmm. small, small targets. And, um, it, the, it, the berm was like sh- the, the targets were under a heavy shadow from the berm yeah. and the berm has like been eaten out big time yeah. around it and that KYL is like right there and it's super dusty so I touch it off and I can't tell I'm like oh, I yeah. have no you clue know, you have no idea I know you just see a fume of smoke exactly and you're just like okay well I'm gonna add two tents yeah. right add two tents smoke again alright well I'm gonna hold fucking center yeah boom smoke again yeah. and the targets are small enough that it's like you, you don't really know am i holding too much or holding too little yeah. because i'm not getting any feedback yep yep it's uh that's smart um so to I, I would say before we tie it all off I, I did want to talk about some kind of advanced wind topics that um would be important you know, specifically aerodynamic jump uh wind velocity profile and uh, as a competitive shooter, understanding your um, mile per hour threshold uh, for the target of the, the target size that you're shooting. So starting off with what I say, aerodynamic jump. Okay. Um, based off my experience and the solvers that I've used, uh, I'm not convinced that aerodynamic jump is properly accounted for with these ballistic solvers. And, uh, you know, I've shot, again, going back to Granite Creek, I've shot in 20 mile an hour wind conditions, straight up, right? But if I would have used that 20 mile an hour wind condition that the solver told me to, to also influence aerodynamic jump in my dope, I would have missed high, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So anytime that I ever get uh, my firing solution, I make sure that my wind value, and this is on the Hornady Ford off, uh, 
ballistic app on the on your phone I make sure my wind is always set to zero um, and again I, I don't know why that is occurring right because again I, I trust all the other numbers for the ballistic solver I just don't trust the aerodynamic jump yep. influence and unless someone's able to show me and tell me like hey like I've, I've actually seen it right um, but the only time I really honestly influence aerodynamic jump is if like my dope lands on like a point five five right it's like all right do i round up or round down well if the wind is coming from the right i'm gonna round down if the wind is coming from the left i'm gonna round up yeah it, i don't even get that granular i'm just messing with some numbers here and and i'm using the hornady four degree of freedom program and as an example i i think i think that the hornady program is is far more in line with reality than mm -hmm. some other ones just based upon my experience yep. so 12 mile an hour full value wind from left to right uh, at a thousand yards, um, the total come up, which would be inclusive of aerodynamic jump, is six point nine one mils. Okay. Now the no wind trajectory is six point eight two mils. So okay. a one point one, or a basically a point one uh, difference. Okay. Twelve miles an hour. At twelve miles an hour. Okay. Okay. Now if I jump that wind speed up to, say. 15 or 20. Let's jump that up to. Let's jump it up to 20 just to go to the the max. Yep. Okay, so go back to 600 yards, or I'm sorry, 1,000 yards. We were talking 1,000 yards. So total come up with a 20 mile an hour full value left to right wind is 6.98. So seven. And then a no wind is still 6.82. So it's a two-tenth difference. Two-tenth difference. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if you're shooting it. I honestly, honestly, guys, based upon what we what we experienced a couple weeks ago, if we were to if we were to have used the aerodynamic jump, we would have been chasing our tails. On on top of <clears throat> the, the the phenomenon of like we said, drag, right? Yeah. The the because we I, I we believe that our ballistic coefficient or axial point factor wasn't true to that altitude. Yeah, because I don't think we were able to, we we weren't able to get it out to a, a deep enough distance, right? To 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 truly identify if that form factor was going to function at that density altitude. Yeah, because yeah. they, they only had six hundred fifty yards. Yeah, and and well, not only that, like when we checked velocity and checked our zero, we were fine. Yeah, right. We were within. Yeah. everything was cool yeah every, right yeah yeah so like in yakima here i checked the form factor at 1400 and what's, what's yakima sit at uh yakima is at 2200 feet okay. and i checked it at like 80 80 degrees um so and another thing to remember guys we don't give a shit about density altitude yeah. i don't give a fuck about what the da is it's a <laughs> fucking pointless number um so going out to 1400 my form factor was 0 0.99. Yeah. It was a tenth of a mil variation. It called for 12.2. Yeah. I only needed 12.1, and it was just hammer in the center of that target. Go to Montana, we're up at 6,500 6, feet MSL, and then a temperature of around 80 degrees Fahrenheit. And even though using that same form factor from from here in Yakima and being solid out to 1400, we were noticing that both Philip and I were high. I was a tenth of a mil high, 
and he was a tenth as well. So all we did was just, what, take a tenth off of everything. It wasn't like we were freaked out yeah. to go, oh, fuck, what am I going to, I'm going to start fucking with my computer program. No, motherfucker, we're hitting minute of angle targets out at a grand and beyond. We're not doing shit. Yep. We're going to take a tenth of a fucking mil off of everything. Yeah. How about that? That's yeah. super simple. Super simple. <laughs> then, like, we'll figure that shit out later. Um, and really, I think what it is is we just didn't have an opportunity. That bullet hap- that bullet probably performed a little differently than what the atmospheric tables within the algorithms of the computer program predicted. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It has everything to do with bullet stability mm-hmm. and has has because bc bullet bullet drag is influenced in large part by the bullet's stability mm-hmm. and how much of the bullet is um processing and wobbling presenting uh additional surface to the oncoming airflow okay. so different environmental conditions are going to have different stability factors yeah. so which influence bc yeah so um it's interesting. I thought it was really interesting, and I and I got some numbers here real quick. Um, yeah. So, as as an example, uh, to the DA thing, a lot of shooters we hear pe- people say, "Oh, well, the DA is going up. The DA is going up." Blah blah blah. We've done this before in our in our um, in our modern day rifleman and modern day sniper monthly classes. We talk about the effects, the true effects of atmospheric conditions, and a, and a guy on the a guy mentioned at the match. Um, this past weekend that, you know, this, the DA increased so much that it affected dope. And I'm, and, and I'm just like, it, it, it does not affect dope guys. And I'm going to write, I'm going to just show you some numbers right here at 600 yards. Now, mind you, the range we were shooting at is, you know, the farthest target we shot at was like 620 yards at 1400 feet MSL and 70 degrees Fahrenheit with 50% relative humidity. At 600 yards, I need three mils with 70 degrees. And that's the temperature that we started off with. It was 70 degrees in the morning. Um, And that needs, for a seven mile an hour wind, I need six tenths. Um, So at at that distance or at that range, I'm a seven mile an hour gun. Now, same altitude, bump up the temperature now to 95, which is what we finished with. Take a guess what the dope is for my computer program that I need to hit the target? Three. 2.97. So three. And guess what the wind hold is? It's still 0.6. Yeah, it's still 0.6, right? So it's like you guys cannot get wrapped around the axle with, with all this stuff until you've actually ran the numbers and proven it to be true and correct. And the density altitude inside 600 yards literally means nothing. So... There you have it, and then it fi- and and then take that all the way out to a thousand yards, um, seventy degrees at a thousand yards is six point eight seven mils, and then ninety five degrees at a thousand yards is six point seven three mils, which is a whopping tenth and some change. Um, and unless you're shooting minute of angle targets, it won't matter either there. Yep. So there you have it, um, and you can't. The thing that you got to remember and we had some people make comments about this at the last match. Um, missing targets and from positions, right? Not prone, right? We're shooting from positions. We're missing targets. Um, and people are saying, 
well, hey, the wind speed dropped off on me while I was shooting that stage. And they would, you know, you'd say that and then the bullet misses in the direction of the wind. And so if the wind truly dropped off while you were shooting that stage, you would have missed the opposite direction. You would have had then held too much wind and that not conversely not enough. So my point is, and what I mentioned was, is, hey, do you think from that position with the 10 rounds that you were allotted and those three positions that you shot from, and I put up a 100-yard dot drill with minute of angle targets on it, 10 of them, would each one of those dots have a bullet inside of it? Yeah. And they were like, uh, probably not. Yeah. Then guess what? We can't be blaming fucking missed shots because the wind slowed down when... Even if it did slow down, the target is big enough to keep you on the plate. So we got to like really understand that that this truly does all fall back on fundamentals of marksmanship. We are not infallible. We are not infallible. We will miss targets. And the fact is that we're shooting bullets that are so fast and so efficient that your wind speed would have to change dramatically to take you off some of these plates that we were shooting at. Yeah, the, the the plates that you're shooting this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The size of yeah, because the size of the plate matters, right? For sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Now, if we're talking a minute and a half plate, then yeah, okay, fine. Like it, like we got that we got screwed a couple times yeah. because of that. But it's like, guess what, dude? Everybody's gonna get screwed because of that. Yeah. Because at that distance, it doesn't matter. It, like it, two mile an hour worth of wind change is going to take you off the plate, mm. whereas at this distances and these target sizes, two mile an hour is not going to take you off the plate. Yeah, yeah. So you got to also run your numbers for yourself to see what's real. Great. Great. Yeah. Um, so uh, the last couple of things I wanted to bring up, or at least at least one more, is wind velocity profile. And something that always, the very first thing that re reminds me of this is um, actually when I was in the Marine Corps at uh, range 218 Alpha. And, that's um, right. You guys started shooting there quite a bit, eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we uh, what we did was uh, out of the ten UKD quals, or we had a total mm. of thirteen UKD shoots. Three of them being practical app, ten of them being graded. We would flip flop back and forth between one seventeen alpha and two eighteen, which was nice. That is right. nice because that's that's a good that's a good section to shoot yeah, in back yeah. there. Um, so the way that I always laid out the targets because I was a marksmanship instructor, I was laid out the targets is you know targets one through six would be you know within about 600 and the sixth one would typically land on the far right and then when you go from the far right it opens up further to when you start getting to like 700 and 800 yards out but the target six would be within about 600 and so what we started to see was because it's such a big it's a bigger fan than 117 alpha right mm -hmm. and so when they transition from target six and move over to seven what you would see is shooters not uh, you having enough wind, right? So because let's say it was working all the way out until 600, let's say that's uh, eight or nine miles an hour, or let's say an eight mile an hour wind call, so double their gun number, right? When they got over to now something that's 700, 800, one thing they didn't keep in mind, or just, they just didn't know, and I didn't know at that time, is wind velocity profile. Because when that 308, it's 175 Sierra Mash King starts going fucking out there, mm -hmm. right? That bullet is is flying high. Yep, it's up there, right? And um, what I didn't understand was that it was mainly because the bullet is getting pushed a lot faster up top, right? Not necessarily because the wind speed 
of what we're looking at line of sight is faster on the left side of the range versus the right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah. You see that. Uh, you can literally feel that flying parachutes yeah, yeah, as you yeah. descend through different can winds. You, can you explain how that, how that works? Yeah, so it's like it's, it's surface friction. Mm -hmm. So... And then also you couple that with terrain influence, like mm -hmm. we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So um, it, case in point, if, if I am landing to the south at Chelan, I don't want to be landing in the B-licensed area because of that knob that's in front of me. Yeah. I, I have a possibility of not necessarily not having fun, but like seriously injuring myself. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go land in the student area when the wind is basically blowing right down the runway. It yep. is completely unimpeded, and I'm going to have clean air all the way down until I get into ground effect. And I'll see, I'll feel the ground effect about 30 feet off the ground. Yeah. And you'll notice, oh, okay, the wind is not nearly as much anymore. Um, and it's because of the surface friction, right? So as you get as you get higher off the ground, there's less um, there's less uh, things like trees and grass and fucking concrete and whatever that grab a hold of that wind, mm. the the molecular structure of the wind, mm. and slow it down, and then dirty it up. But once you get above that level where the wind is more clean, it mm. is less impeded by friction, and it has the force of the mass of it all behind it. It's more clean, so yeah, it's going to have the bullet's going to experience more wind mm. the higher off the ground it gets. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think like a lot of people ask, they're like, how can we quantify that? Can you quantify that? And I tell, I, for me, my personally, like, unless you have really accurate uh, bands of, of wind speed based upon, you know, very specific altitudes, it's really just experience and guess. Yeah, it's a guess. Yeah. So the best way to, I put that in, in like, in just like not layman's terms, but for competitive shooters, that have seen it it's typically troop lines right they're going from let's say uh 400 yards to 1100 yards right so your eight mile an hour works four five six and seven mm -hmm. and maybe eight mm -hmm. right but once you get to nine ten and eleven it won't if you use that eight mile an hour you're going to be missing short you're, you're going to be miss missing short every short time every or on time. The, uh, yeah you're going to be missing downwind 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 every, downwind time. every time so yeah. typically you know what i'll do is once i get to that eight i know okay once i hit eight or nine okay my bullets up there in terms of uh the uh max ord so i now i not only need to use um an eight but i need to use maybe like a nine or a ten and like yeah. i said i can't quantify what that percentage is i just know i need to not use an eight anymore I need yeah to go i need higher. to go i need to go a little higher i need yeah. to add a, i need to add some some speed um the other thing that you guys can do out there depends on your range you can you can look up like if you know where your bullet's going to be, if you have the max ord feature um, in your ballistic computer program, you can identify where that bullet's going to be and look for wind mirage flow at that altitude too, uh, and see if it's any different than at the ground or or wherever the, the target is. So um, honestly, man, those are all things that the only way you're going to learn these the, these phenomena is to go out and experience them. Make your own mistakes. Shoot different learn, venues. Shoot different venues. Learn things, and once you get all of those experiences in your back pocket, you're going to be able to have a much better idea. Going to another venue, and you're going to say, "Oh, okay, I, like this is like the perfect storm." You know, like I've got terrain over here and trees here, or you know, and so you're, you'll be able to know. You'll be able to have a really, really good idea of what to expect. You know, so. so um, 
like I guess to, to, to recap everything in terms of like when the best way that I like to just you know explain to our students in in-person classes is uh, don't ever think it uh, trust your trust your gut right um, and uh, you know like yeah don't be afraid to miss yeah right that, that I mean by you missing is you taking a leap of faith and trying to invest in your memory bank and your experience mm -hmm. right and you know um, again like because of how many misses that I've had in training and you know just like in guessing your wind call and then you know don't what I what I call walk it out right it's so easy for us when we're training at home when we're validating trajectory or whatever the case might be feel good about ourselves and like all right I'm gonna start at 300 and I'm gonna work my way out to a mm -hmm. thousand right just start at random ranges go to 700 and then make your best guess wind call from based off the conditions yeah and after you hit 700 go close and on the opposite side of the range, range if you yeah, can yeah, right yeah. so do something mm -hmm. to get your brain focused on adhering to those three steps yep 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 that way that way you'll develop that to memory and honestly man once i once i started once i started allowing students to just make their own mistakes yeah. force them to make their own mistakes yeah. their ability to learn wind yeah. drastically in, increased yeah. Yeah. So, and that's another thing too, if you guys, like if you're close or local and um, we got a couple of spots left for our wind clinic that's happening in July, check the website, uh, moderndaysniper.com, look for those classes. We got a positional clinic and a wind clinic in, in the month of July and uh, got a couple slots left for both of them. And you, you guys, the wind out here at the range in Yakima does not disappoint. It's always doing something. Yeah. Very rarely is it not doing anything. Yeah. Um, so, and it's very, it's, it's finicky and tricky and you'll learn a lot. Yep. Yep. Um, we've got, uh, potentially some classes popping up in Cody, uh, some technical rifle hunters, wind clinic, positional clinic up at heart mountain. So, um, make mm. sure you're in the network to, uh, get the uh, first, um, eyes on that, especially if you're, you're looking to train this summer, uh, while the kids are out or, or whatever the case might be, or if you want to get get ready for hunting season. Uh, Kalen's got a sick ass uh, uh, prep to hunt um, program he, we're going to be coming out with sometime in August. Yep. Right. Uh, which is an eight week program. Yep. And uh, I drew for a um, Dude, you elk lucky, tag in Wyoming. You lucky so son of a bitch. I'm going to vlog your uh, prep to hunt program. Yeah, yeah, man. We've got, we got some good hunts coming up this year. Um, and the, the prep to hunt program, I'm, I'm super excited about it. It's um, it's something that it's if you guys could think about it, it's like an advanced, not an advanced, but like a more expanded version of our technical rifle hunter course. And my and what I want to do is is be able to give guys an opportunity to kind of work with with me. And basically, what I'm doing is I'm documenting all I'm doing, getting ready for this hunting season. Yeah. And this is my normal routine of how I go through my rifle check getting my rifle zeroed, making sure the drop data is good, training myself um, for those field type of shooting conditions. And then I'm going through my gear with a fine tooth comb. We're gonna talk about footwear. We're gonna talk about outerwear, how to layer, nutrition, um, techniques, observation, field skills, scouting, all the stuff, man. It's gonna be a really badass little package. So we're gonna do some vlogs on the basically the what and the why and then the course is going to cover the how um, in the detail so 
be looking out for that coming up. We're, we're starting to capture for that now. And, um, man, Phil, your, your positional class is fucking fire, man. It's like, it's exactly what, I think that's exactly what everybody just needed in, in the, for that game. Right. Yeah. They're like, Hey, the positional stuff is the bane of my existence. How the fuck do I keep that rifle stop or from moving? Yeah. So check know, that thing out. One thing that we haven't done yet, and again, we've got we've got thousands of, like, I think probably close to 2,000 subscribers to the po- podcast. Yep. Close, yeah, we got mm-hmm. close to, uh, but there's not that many actually sh- shooters signed up for our online training, and I think there's some misconception on that. Um, once you buy the online training, you have it for lifetime. Yeah, as long you got as you it for have, life. As long as you have internet access to, um, or, or some kind of service, right, to be able to download the videos. Uh, and, you know, not only are we going to continue to add to that uh, program when something comes up, right, but we're also going to, based off of your guys' critiques and criticism, maybe change some videos and, you know, give different angles, right, Um you know, for some videos, there's a there's there was at least a minimum of four cameras rolling, whether it be the A camera, B camera, uh, a drone, right, and the trigger cam, right. And I think that was, if if anything, the most invaluable asset that I had for the uh, positional course was that, you know, I was able to get the trigger cam uh, about closer to halfway uh, through the course. Yep. Right. And so, you know, everyone's been talking about in terms of that because again the way that the network is set up is super cool. It's like your own little community inside that class. So everyone's talking and giving feedback about mm-hmm. the trigger cam. It's uh, a lot of it's reaffirmation for like, okay, this is what my reticle does look like. Or like, Hey, I'm coming off way off target more than expected. And that's what it's really supposed to look like, you know? Uh, and I was shooting a, the whole class other than maybe a couple like slow fire demonstrations in the training drills, the whole class I was running an unbraked 308, right? <laughs> And, you know, so I was being honest and transparent about what my reticle looks like when it dances on target and what it looks like when um, I break break that shot and what my recoil management looks like based off that shooting position. And so, I mean, not all of it was perfect, right? Not all of it came right back to center, right? Um, And I talk about why I potentially came off, right? So it's a a good course. Um, Check those out. Not only the positional course, but... You know, let's say you come to the podcast, you get tuned in, and you're like, man, I really want to get into long-range shooting, but you don't know where to start. Well, you need to start with a circle of components. You need to figure out how it all works. And then once you dive into circle of components and figure out, okay, from buttstock to muzzle brake, this is everything that involves a precision rifle, then you need to learn how to drive it in the prone position. Mm-hmm. And once you learn how to drive in the prone position, you need to figure out how to validate trajectory, which is our introduction to long-range, and then you can learn to shoot off your belly. Yep. That's the process. So... And that's that's literally like the recipe for success. Yeah, I mean that you got to focus we, on the step by step. That's why we laid out the courses and release in that sequence because that's exactly how we teach all of our in person classes. Mm-hmm. So this was a good one, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I think will, people are gonna like it. Yeah, the technical yeah. stuff. I mean, like I I love talking about. It. I geek out on that type yeah, that type yeah. of thing. So um, thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate all of you. And um, till next time. Bye, everybody. We'll see you. Keep facing the gun.